this is Dale Stewart. You have Nature's Edge on the air. You know, in this complex, interconnected system like climate, we need to see the big picture in order to discover the best responses to current challenges and to maximize the long-term well-being of systems and the people within them. I am going to have a couple of guests with me today who are going to discuss this, and we're going to uh, actually take on uh, some scenarios and some what-ifs, and uh, we're also uh, being filmed today, so it's, it's going to be an interesting day at best. <laughs> my, my first guest is a friend of mine, uh, Dana Ruggiero. Dana is the producer of WNC Climate Listening Project, a visual and social storytelling project connecting conversations about climate disruption and resilience in Western North Carolina. My other guest is Andrew Jones. Andrew is co-director of Climate Interactive, one of the world's top climate think tanks. Climate Interactive works with a diverse range of partners and clients to figure out what choices will address the pressing challenges of today and enable the thriving future of our children and future generations of tomorrow. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Dale. Uh, Dana, why don't we start with you to talk to us a little bit about the Climate Listening Project. Well, all summer we've been collecting climate stories and talking with people that are either seeing the impacts of climate disruption here in Western North Carolina or climate scientists, climatologists, people that are working in tech science to um, connect the dots basically on, on climate disruption and also folks in the community, farmers, sportsmen, um, tourism, restaurant owners, business owners, entrepreneurs that are creating a culture of resilience here, which Appalachia is, is very well known for. Um, so we're really excited to be basically creating this visual and social storytelling conversation about climate disruption and climate change um, and really trying to create a positive conversation around it, a conversation where it's okay to talk about it. Let's talk about climate. Let's talk about it at work, at home, um, at school. Let's let's just talk about it. Let's share our stories from farmer to farmer, um, you know, from, from community member to politician, whatever. You know, let's just talk about it. You know, I'm sick of talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guys, I'm ready to start doing something about it, and, and I, I think that's... Uh, do you, do you go by Andrew, or do you have another name? You can Andrew? call me Drew, Dale. Call me Drew. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. Drew, what you're doing is interesting, and looks like you're trying to develop something that does give us some guidelines on on what to do. Yeah, if we when we move from talking to doing, right? Uh, our mission is to use these models that grew out of MIT to calculate if we do things, how much of a difference can it make to actually prevent future climate risk and avoid all of the problems that we're seeing around the world, like in Louisiana, where you've been telling me about losing land to sea level rise and extreme weather events and all that. Yeah. So our mission is to get these tools in the hands of real decision makers in business and policy in the UN, all over the world, to, so that people can really see what works and avoid the doom and gloom messaging that's going on right now exactly. to basically say we're screwed. Yeah, there's and, hope. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and there is. And you guys know I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist, and I know you are too. Drew, tell me. So how does that work? I mean, I mean, you you're bringing people to the table, I understand, or you're you're presenting things, you're asking them to do things. But 
How does it real work? How, how does it work? The simulation itself? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's basically like adding up the math of how many people are there on Earth, how much energy are we using, how much energy efficiency are we going to see in the future, how much renewable energy or nuclear or land use change that is different or reducing methane emissions. How much does that all add up to to have not a five-degree future but down to two degrees because two degrees is the goal of the U.N.? So we build the models and we put it on the on the web in people's hands so they can see for themselves what works. Yeah, and I, I think that is that is so important because people ask me all the time, you know, Dale, you know, we talk about this, we talk about this, science studies this and studies this. Policymakers take what they hear from science and develop more policy and more laws to deal with this. But at the end of the day, it seems like it's you know we're 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 dragging this huge elephant uphill, and uh, and and that's and that's tough. And I think it does take people to really see things. Yeah, and it feels like an elephant that we're dragging right now because there's this story around the world right now. And I pulled up some of the headlines from the Atlantic: "We're screwed." Like when the Atlantic right. says "We're screwed," you know we have this problem that's in our heads where people are starting to believe this resignation that shifts us into, oh, let's just deal with it. But if you run the numbers, we're not screwed. There are things that we can do to prevent future climate risk. And there are things people right here in Western North Carolina are doing. Absolutely. So there are huge trends. There are important trends of what actually is going on with the growth of renewable energy and the success in energy efficiency in areas like that. And we need to know about those successes. And, Dana, that's what you guys are pulling together with some of the tales of people doing things here in the region. Yes. You know, um, from with the agriculture has been really exciting for me and seeing how food and farming both are being affected, you know, um, dealing with 2013 being the wettest year on record in the history of Asheville. I just saw a report yesterday that 2014 was the hottest re- year. Uh, August was the hottest month on record um, this year being the hottest, you know, ever. It's interesting. So, you know, when you have farmers saying, I don't know about climate, but I am seeing changes in when I can plant or I'm seeing impacts from rain and just and just talking about it. But then also looking at sustainable measures, sustainable ways to to farm, to create food systems from you know, production all the way to distribution um, and, and changing the way that things are done. It's It's been really cool. And we're 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 leading the way here in yeah. Asheville on that, as well as in the tech and, and in connecting all of these stories, I think, um, and making it something through video and film and storytelling online that people will be able to read about and connect with and hopefully make it where you see, OK, it, it, it's not so scary. People are actually doing something about it right here, my neighbor. Let's yeah, talk about exactly. what we can do about it and build a resilient community absolutely. and economy. Yeah, and I, I think it's absolutely amazing that you're going out and actually talking to real people. But, real because folks. So, so often, <laughs> yeah, so often people, uh, the cultures that live in an area, the people that are impacted the most by uh, an environmental issue, yeah, are never brought to the table. Yeah. Right. No one ever asked yeah, them, yeah. what do you think? And the people around here in this region right now, the, one of the biggest things is the cl- possible closing of Asheville's coal-fired power plant. Mm-hmm. And it fits a national trend. 166 coal-fired power plants have been closed in the last five years. Yes. And it's huge. And so the people here who are being affected by the socks and knocks and all the mm-hmm. you know air quality problems are standing up and saying, we don't need this power plant anymore. We have alternatives. Exactly. And, you know, with the EPA's first clean power plant putting – 
you know, a, putting limits on the amount of pollution and carbon that can be released by these power plants is a huge deal. And people can comment on that from now through October 16th and and and. You know, that's one easy way. That's one way we can take action is putting those sort of that pollution in check, that carbon in check and and not not opening any more of those coal powered plants. But it's interesting because the one thing I love about Climate Interactive was what I saw when we did this the simulation before. You know, what happens? What happens when you lower, right, yeah. you know, you stop climate? How does that affect the rest of the way that energy is produced? It's just so cool to be able to see that all move. Yeah. It, it it truly is, and and again, uh, it, it is so important, though. I think to, you know, to get the 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 systems and the culture of a community to buy into what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it, again, it and and that that's why I'm I'm excited about the project that that you guys are doing. I know, recently when I was down in Louisiana, I was one of the first guys that ever went in the bayou and asked the people who live down there. What do you think about what's right. being done? What do you think about policies that are being written to to improve and to, and and to uh, the wetlands? And they told me, yeah, they said, you know, Dale, we've we've never been asked that question before. So I was I was glad I asked. Guys, you're listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, and we are discussing climate change and and some very um, uh, exciting things that are going on both in Western North Carolina and. And around the region, and we will be back right after these uh, these words. Back. This is Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, my in-studio guest today, uh, Dana Ruggiero and Drew Jones. We are talking about an interactive climate project, and we're talking about the Western North Carolina Climate Listening Project that both of these guys are involved in. Drew, um, where you yeah. want to go? Oh, right, here we go. All, All right. right, we're going to play a game. It's called Dale Stewart Saves the World in Nine Minutes. You ready uh, to play? Yeah, just okay. Here's the deal: we've got this simulator. It's called En Roads that we built, and what it's going to do is calculate ideas that you have as dictator of the world. You get to say, "Here's what's going to happen all around the world," and I'm going to calculate how much it reduces future temperature. Right now, we're headed at like five degrees C, mm. four and a half or five degrees C, which is a world we can't <clears throat> adapt to. We want to to limit warming to about two degrees. That's what the UN said is the goal. So here we go. What would you like to do in the world of population and energy and land use and agriculture? Give me some of the solutions you think are the most powerful, and we're going to see how much they help. Well, obviously, changing uh, changing the the energy that we use and becoming much more efficient uh, with energy, whether it's in building our homes and our yeah. offices and where we live. Those exactly. Sort of so let's start with that. So what I'm doing in the simulation is I'm cranking up how fast we improve energy efficiency of, as you said, buildings and motors and appliances and like the microphone I'm talking into. And when you do that, look at the temperature change. You see a green line coming down. We just shaved about half a degree off of future warming. We're significantly reducing climate risk in the future. And if we did it in cars as well, there are so many electric vehicles right now. There are 30 types of electric vehicles 
companies in the U.S. right now. Tesla's the one that's all known yep. for. Look how much we just dropped. The green line came down even more. We've shaved it down to about 3.5 degrees C instead of, say, 4.5. Significant future climate risk avoided. So there's energy efficiency. Helps, and it saves people a lot of money in the near term. What do we got next? Um Alternative energy systems, wind, solar. Wind and solar is growing incredibly fast in the U.S. Wind Price of wind dropped 43% over the last several years. So let's crank that up. And when we go over and subsidize wind, what you watch is the green line that you see over on the right is going to crank up, and we make it cheaper and cheaper. So we could have a lot more wind and solar. And it helps because that replaces coal. It and does. it replaces natural gas. We're replacing fossil fuels. So the black line on our screen right now is showing that coal is peaking around 2025. So that's helping a lot. And we're now our temperature is down to about 3.2. You've closed about 40% of the gap. You're saving the world. Keep on going. What do you got next? Uh, dealing with deforestation. Deforestation. Brazil and Indonesia, they're chopping down a lot of trees for soy, for palm oil and stuff like that. That shaves off another little bit. Not a huge amount because Brazil's already reduced its emissions about 80%. Yeah, they have. They've done a ton. So now we're at 3.0. 3.0 is much, much better. You've closed 55% of the gap. Keep going. What do you got? We talked about a little bit, but but really stopping or really truly reducing that, that uh, dependency that we do have on on cold and so and so much is going on in that area with with policies so when we find that when we have a price on coal and watch the black line dale the black line of coal not peaking in 2025 but what if it could peak in like 2018 and come down 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 and it helps not just because you don't build new plants but you don't actually use the ones that you have and that keeps so much co2 out of the atmosphere because coal is the most carbon intensive of all our energy supplies. So now we're at 2.9. We're at even lower. So we're getting closer to 2. What else you got? What about our, our, our food production? Uh, yeah, uh, food production. from from livestock to... Exactly. Livestock is huge because a lot livestock produces a lot of methane, methane. and we don't think that much about it. We t- focus on carbon, but over here I'm going to reduce other gases like methane, and this is also going to reduce nitrous oxide in fertilizer and other things. So watch how much that shaves down temperature increase. Now we're at about 2.4 degrees, a much lower temperature. So look at all this huge difference between a 4.5 degree world and, in this case, really within striking distance of two degrees. Now we've got a median of about 2.4. We are significantly avoiding future climate risk. We're still dealing with the impacts, but we are avoiding some of the worst impacts that are out there in the world. So to some degree, we can say you have done a huge thing in order to create what I would call grounded hope. Not the fact that we've got this totally figured out and avoided, but a grounded story of how we actually might avoid future climate risk. Yeah, it's amazing to me to sit here and just watch that. I would also throw in there maybe looking at how we price the energy that we utilize. Absolutely. And when you talk to economists, even really conservative economists, they say, don't externalize costs. Correct. Make our energy pay for itself. So carbon pricing, I'm going to crank that up, and we'll see the significant thing that does. If we put that up around $50 a ton, and many right now Scandinavian countries have that, we shape, and what that does is it cuts down the coal, cuts oil peaking around 2030, less gas over time, and now we're around 2.3. So we're really close to a two-degree future when we actually put a price on carbon. 
Yeah, I, and I do think that is uh, that is something we need to do. And the other, you know, this this is still a, a controversial thing with a lot of people, but nuclear still has uh, has a, I believe, a place in in reducing some of this. I don't know if it's going to have a have a major impact on our on our uh, on our modeling. What's or not, great about nuclear it's it's a zero carbon energy source. There's so much we have to work out on siting and on what we do with all the waste. And right now, it's really, really expensive is what we it found. Is. And if it were to be much less expensive, it is one of those things. Watch the pink, the pink line. You'll see if I have it reducing, if I have more, um, more nuclear, then it could actually help a little bit more as well. And I, and I think one of the other things that's, that's personal to me that I'll throw out there is working closer with uh, business and industry around the world, not only in helping them reduce their their carbon footprint, but but helping them sort of understand where we're going with all this. Absolutely, and so many of the investments that would be required that you just said, oh, I want to see these things happen, happen via businesses who see an opportunity in wind, solar, energy efficient vehicles, all the things at many scales that need to happen. So they're a huge part of the scenario you just created as global dictator. So we got about two minutes left. How close are we? Are we getting down to that? Time? I think we are really darn close. And it's really so different from the messaging that we hear in the world where so many people are saying there aren't things that technically could happen to get us towards two degrees. And actually what you've just done is created that scenario very close to it. And if anything, you know, the message that we're seeing here, really what it leads us to is what would it actually take? And you got to believe it's the best analogy I have is Something similar to the civil rights movement. You know, this Saturday is the largest climate march probably in the world in New York City. And it's a time when people are really saying, we want to see this kind of future. We want to avoid future climate risk. So I think probably the best analogy is what you're doing right here on the radio, going to people and saying, we could do this. What does it take? And really, what is your role at whatever scale you're at? What is your role in this kind of transformation we're seeing in the energy system, in land, and in people's engagement in choosing the future that we really want. Yeah, and you know, I, I and I speak to a lot of people in a lot of groups, and, and one of the things, there is almost this uh, mental um, uh, mentality out there of, of, well, I don't know what to do, or yeah. I'm not sure how I could yeah. impact, or what, what I could... Uh, uh, what I could give up. And then I also hear even people in the conservation movement say, I hope we can do this. And I think by saying I hope, you're really, mm. you know, that's that's almost negative thinking in my in my yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, that word, and that word is so appropriate right now because, you know, hope is a choice. It's not an assessment. People ask, are you hopeful? When it's not just like, oh, I think we've got this dialed, but it's I choose to live in a way that we can actually do it. That's what I think the hope is needed. Drew and I have been uh, discussing. Uh, Drew made me the dictator of the earth, and we were trying to <laughs> see what we could do to reduce uh, reduce emissions and 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 make some changes. And I, th- I think we we came pretty pretty close to uh, uh, to doing that. Uh, you are listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart. Don't go anywhere, and we shall return shortly and continue this amazing discussion.
right, guys, welcome back to Nature's Edge. We're having a, a very spirited con- conversation today about uh, uh, some of the amazing work that my guests are doing. And, and Dana, you didn't do much talking in this last segment, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it back to you and uh, what you want to say about all this stuff. That was really interesting and kind of cool to see you two work through that climate interactive simulation and to watch that those things change and i and i love that idea of how it how it all really is an ecosystem right dale we were talking about that you know right before we went on air and you know when you change one thing it changes another thing and um you know as people we forget sometimes that we're part of the ecosystem um and one thing that's just really cool about western north carolina is that it is one of the most biodiverse places in the world. And we do have a lot of different altitudes here. We have different urban and um, and rural areas. We have amazing preserved forest lands. We have such a great diverse ecosystem in people as well, you know, art yeah. and music. And it's just, it's kind of a cool place. And it's a cool way to see, um, to, I think, the climate conversation coming out of Asheville with Drew, with you and Climate Interactive being based out of Asheville, going up to the UN next week to talk with, yeah. you know, leaders from around the world about climate. Yeah, yeah. And I came here because of the culture of people who are working to create a better future for our people in our land That's 17 so years cool. ago. Because the reputation of this region was like, this is the place to be. And when we built the model that we just played with, we used the data that sits in the largest repository of weather data anywhere, yeah. which is just down the street here at NOAA National Climate Data Center. It's the main place where that happens, where these folks contributed to getting the... Nobel Peace Prize a bunch of years ago because of that report. Right here, yeah. You know, we've also have leaders like Accelerating Appalachia and SOCAP, Social Capital Markets, coming out of Asheville and Sawananoa and WNC where they're working to build resilient future with entrepreneurs and investors and and really creating that new economy that is ethical and sustainable. Um, and you, Dale, being here in Asheville and traveling around the world and and making sure that as we create that these futures, whatever, you know, the future is as dictator of, you know, trying to save the world, yeah. you know, <laughs> you are one that remembers the people that were there first. And that's wonder, one wonderful thing about about Asheville and about Appalachia is this agricultural and cultural history and and uh, resilience that yeah, we have. It, you, yeah. know, you know about the people, and and we're we're excited. I think to be you know that have the history of building America with energy and and um, a lot has come out of here. But now looking to the future and how we can make those little changes. Um, and so the WNC Climate Listening Project is is an opportunity to sort of create, you know, create these conversations and to see what also, what can we do and what are we already doing to, to you know, kind of stop this climate disruption and or slow it down or, or make those changes so that we can make sure that we did everything that we could yeah. for the future. Absolutely. Yeah, people always ask me how I wound up here, and I've been here, Drew, about as long as you. I've been yeah. here 17 years. Well, I moved here because my wife told me to. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, maybe she knew. You know, this is actually one of the like the zones that they're looking at. That you know, because of our mountains, because right. uh, we're not so close to sea level. I mean, we're kind of we're you know, she knew maybe with climate that this was a good place, a safe place. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> and you know, you know, I'm I'm thankful that Nature's Edge is is heard all over the region now, and and there is a lot of of people. Just in this whole geographic region of the United States that, that seem to be like-minded and, and very positive in what they're doing. And I had a lady asked me yesterday, she said, well, Dale, do you look at, at, uh, at this world as, uh, and what we're dealing with as the, as, as, as the glass half full of water? Or are you looking at it as, as uh, you know, half full or yeah. half empty? Guys, in my mind, I don't look at it as half full or half, or, or half empty as long as I'm the one pouring the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, and I think that's kind of the attitude. I like that. Yeah, that people you have know, to develop. Along those lines, Dale, help me with this about how you keep that like pouring the glass of water kind of attitude. And when I talk to people, there are so many people who want to do so much on climate and yet feel they're back against the wall because there's such strong messaging that we're halfway through an expedition, we know where we want to get, mm-hmm. and yet morale is down, people are feeling like they can't pull it off. There was this, I'm looking at this headline from Wall Street Journal where it says, limiting carbon emissions won't work. Better to begin adjusting to a warmer world. Like, just give it up. <laughs> it's time to just accept that, we're, that we can't do it. So as an outdoorsman, you've got to have faced this at times when you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. How do you, and I think how do we all in our heads do the proper way that we handle that kind of interplay of resignation, hope, aspiration, strength, and will? How, yeah. how, do, you, how do you get through those moments? Well, I have, I have things that I have implanted in my brain that I call triggers. And, and a trigger is, is why do I want to accomplish this? But more importantly mm-hmm. is, is who do I want to go home to? Or why am I doing this? Right. Yeah. Am, I, am I doing it for yeah. my wife? Am I doing it for myself? Am I doing it for children? Am I doing yeah. it for other things? But, yeah, when I, when I sort of hit that wall and look at that, there's always a bigger image that comes into my head that keeps me going. So it's, it's, not, it's so easy because your brain all the time lies to you. It's yeah. always telling you we can't do something or it's telling you to stop. It's telling you yeah. to sit down, yeah. rest, and do that thing. And so you have to override that. And I was noticing in the Wall Street Journal article there that you were showing it, yeah. that the headline says the climate change agenda needs to adapt to reality. Mm. Well, reality is, is can be changed. Yeah. And just accepting something, if I accepted the reality of the situation when I'm on an expedition, oftentimes I would give up. <laughs> right. I would give up. Because you're wet and tired. Absolutely. <laughs> but but, as, but as, as humans, one of the things that drives us forward is we do have the ability yeah. to look at the environment we find ourselves in and do something about yeah. it. Yes. And, and only when we stop doing something about it does that environment continue, continue to, uh, to cause us problems. So probably all of us working together yeah. in the Climate Listening Project, in our lives, you're saying to look to the why – and the why is quality of life for people. It is the health of habitats. It's biodiversity. It's the future. You guys, what what are your whys? On this the is, Facebook page, WNC yeah. Climate Listening Project, that first sort of video that we put up nice. was really just talking with people about why should we do the Climate Listening uh-huh. Project? Why should we ask people about yeah. why should we talk about climate? Why do you care about exactly. climate? And we heard answers so diverse from 
you know, it's it's about our it's about our livelihood. It's about economy. It's about my family. It's about the grandchildren I've never even met. You know, um, it is about water, air, right. yeah. um, all so many different answers. So you can go WNC Climate Listening Project on Facebook and watch that first video. It's kind of a raw cut of just you know a restaurant owner, a family, a religious faith leader, and you know various folks just talking about why they care. And that second phase of now, you know, talking with the scientists. See like what are, what are we experiencing what can we expect to experience and then talking with the fisherman who's been fishing in the same river for 30 years and can yeah. no longer fish in that same spot yeah. you know the farmer who, who's seeing those changes um, and so it's it's kind of these tiered approach to why you know and then how and right. you know what's next like now what you know um, and I and I love the the resilience piece the piece of right. you know combining the why with the the how and the hope you know. Yeah, and and nature is extremely resilient. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed in 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 the, being able to travel all over the world is actually seeing nature become resilient. Yeah. And sometimes the best thing that man can do for nature is get out of the way. Yes. I mean, you know, if you don't believe nature's resilient, don't mow your yard uh, <laughs> one summer and 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 see what happens to yeah, it. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that yeah. Very true. Sometimes we we tend to overthink it, and it seems sometimes that even when when we try to control nature, she lets us know real quick who's in charge. Yes. Yeah. And and that's my inspiration. You know, my story. I started out. You know so many years ago trying to help animals, trying to help the environment. And I realized through that that I, I can't do that without talking with people and helping people and, and the ecosystem that we're all part of. I'm going to cut you off because the uh, our executive producer, Miss <laughs> Leslie, is over here making uh, obscene gestures. We uh, love Leslie. <laughs> at us. And so you're listening to Nature's Edward Dale Stewart, and we shall be right back. All right, guys, this is Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, and we've been having an amazing discussion today about uh, all things climate. And, uh, Danny, you want to lead off this last segment? What do you want to talk about? I would just love to talk with you two about about your roles in this ecosystem. Yeah. Um, my role has been storytelling yeah. and trying to connect the conversations, and so bringing you guys together is a big part <laughs> of that, you know? Yeah. So I would just love to, you know, Dale... You have been working in Louisiana. You've been working with indigenous peoples just around the world on these, you know, conversations. And I just I would love for you to either, you know, share a story or to to say your why, you know. Yeah. You know, I think the the biggest thing for me, whether I'm working with indigenous tribes in another country or whether I'm working with the, the largest bilingual uh, cultural group in the United States is headquartered in in uh, my home state in South Louisiana. That's the the Creole and the Cajun and and the the Homa Indians down there. And one of the things that I work with them on is actually getting them to the table, uh, making them a part of this discussion. And so often they're not included. I mean, every day there are policies being developed. There are scientists uh, doing research. There's politicians writing laws and and having impact. Without them being part of that discussion, yeah. without yeah. bringing the, the that human element, that cultural element to the table. And one thing I've found is because we're all different culturally and socially and where we were born, how we were raised and all those things. Uh, but there are, there are some things that, that 
that do bond us as a yeah. as a species. But what necessarily works for one culture doesn't always work for another. So my job is sort of I've been trying to sort of bridge those gaps and sort of figure out what works for one and, yeah. and doesn't for another. Thank Th- you. This resonates so much with another effort that we're doing, which is outside of that simulation we just played with, which is so far for the last 20 years, the climate movement sadly has been really about uh, – really wealthy, environmentally focused people who are saying we need to preserve the climate. And it's just not resonating with the people of Earth enough right. that we're no, doing no, it. It's not. It's not. <laughs> so uh, enough people are saying, okay, if this is the case, we were going to take what we call a multifocal approach and to realize there are a lot of people who are being fect- affected by sea level rise and extreme weather events. And a lot of the solutions better transport, walkable communities, less coal being burned, and therefore better air quality, yes. better food, better diets, um, livable communities, green space in cities. These are things that help people now and not just the wealthier people who are talking about climate, but everybody, people of color and people who are poorer and people who are in other countries around the world. So a multifocal approach. So I, we are agreeing with you. We've got this project that's trying to quantify and also broaden the base of people who are saying, look, let's create a better world for multiple reasons, yes. not just this issues of just we're talking about around climate. And I think, you know, one of the things that I love about getting more people involved yeah. is then you sort of see these sparks happening, right? Whether it's with young people or it's with folks that said, maybe I'll be an entrepreneur. I mean, there, <laughs> there's there's things that then happen, those connections that start being made, jobs are created, new economies are created, more resilient economies, I think. Um, and and that's why I, I think there is hope is because we've, we've created so much so far to get yeah. where we are. Yeah. Okay, that was great. And you see these millenniums coming up saying, well, I could do that better. You know, that <laughs> yeah. was good. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks for all that great yeah. energy and building this amazing world. And I've got my tech. I've got all these great things. But how can we use that for good? Exactly. And the millennials we're finding particularly important where um, people are so inspired, this younger generation. So what we're saying is there's so many great tools that are out there, but the scientists have them. So why are these in the world of science and analysts? They need to be given to the people. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is we've taken these huge computer models that would take a month to run, or I'm exaggerating, it would take like days often to run, put them on the web. So right now anybody can go to climateinteractive.org and run the global computer models that I was just showing that the scientists use. So what we're trying to do is get those out to people, and then actually we're doing these things we're calling sim selfies. Dana, you saw us playing with this before. So someone creates a scenario and says, I think we could do this, just like Dale did a little earlier. I'm king of the world. Here's my way to save the world in 10 minutes. Here's a picture of it. Here's what I love about it. It makes me think that we're heading somewhere positive, whatever it is. So we're getting people to take pictures, decision makers, but mostly millions of people around the world declaring there is a positive future. I'm part of it. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, and my my philosophy is pretty simple. I do not believe that, that science alone or politicians alone or policymakers alone are going to do this yeah. because there's a lot more of the of the average man and woman out there that that is dealing with things on a daily basis and they they do have a say in this and the, and can have a impact way beyond uh, that group who thinks they're the the smartest in the room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
And I encourage people to visit, you know, WNC Climate Listening Project on Facebook or tag a photo, tag a photo with an image, something that shows your impact on climate change or go and do the simulation, take a simulation selfie, share why you care or what you're doing, what you're seeing, what climate impacts you're seeing um, or the way that you're building a sustainable, resilient future. Tag, you know, use the hashtag my climate story or WNC climate story or just talk about it, you know, but definitely, you know, visit WNC Climate Listening Project on Facebook to see what other people are saying. We've got some videos already up there, and we're going to be continuing filming throughout the end of the month. And into next month with UNC Chapel Hill is going to be coming over, and they're working on stories throughout North Carolina. We have a lot of exciting stories from around the country that are coming together, too. A woman um, out of Warren Wilson College is has just written a book that will come out early next year where she interviewed 25 farmers around the country Great. about climate. Yeah. yeah, You know, so all of these stories and I think so go to the Facebook page see what's going on see what people are talking about WNC Climate Listening Project and also that'll provide you with a link there too on how you can comment on the EPA Clean Power Plan because that's just one easy thing that we can do right now you know as a, in addition to like like let's let's check out efficiency at our home before winter or I mean there's a lot of things that you can do in your own daily lives um, riding bike or carpooling and getting energy efficient and and also working to to retire the actual coal plant yeah. but but also, you know, commenting on those EPA carbon rules, whether it's through the EPA, yeah. it's your local government, um, and letting them know we let's let's take those basic easy steps to putting the first ever limits on the pollution, absolutely. you know, for, for climate and also for our health. Yeah, yeah it, and, and it, as you guys know, uh, uh, when I was in South Louisiana the last time, I recorded a lot of conversations with a lot of the uh, a lot of the locals down there, and and. The last uh, uh, many weeks, I've been sort of editing that, and we're we're actually putting together a uh, uh, a radio documentary about uh, what's awesome. going on in South Louisiana yeah. that uh, that'll be on the air hopefully pretty soon. I got to get some of Leslie's expertise <laughs> in it, but we're 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 getting there. Uh, well, we're we love what you're doing. Love to share anything you do, Dale, and thank you so much for all you do. Yeah. I mean, well, I you know I do it because it's sort of what i've always done it's, it's, <laughs> it's a piece of my heart and of course uh spending time in nature uh the way i do i'm one of the luckiest guys in the world you know mm-hmm. i've i've been to every continent i've been in almost every uh ecosystem on this on this wonderful planet and and have seen how the people there have adapted how they're working how they're using and how they're doing things and so i, I kind of see my job now is taking some of these lessons learned and um and and pushing them uh out there to other people that can uh, that can make uh, make a big difference, Thank guys. You. We got uh, about thirty seconds left, Drew. What do you what do you want to say? Ah, uh, just supporting, summarizing what Dana said of just collective action and individual action. Yeah. Those two, collective, we've got to pull together, and then everyone walk in their talk. Yeah. Guys, you've been listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart today, and. Uh, we we have also recently been picked up by TuneIn, so you can tell your uh, your friends and and family and listeners uh, pretty much around the world that they can go to to uh, TuneIn dot com, seek out Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart and and listen to this. I just had a friend of mine send me an email from Germany and said, "How can I listen to the program?" So they can uh, they can do that now, and we're also uh, on um, being podcast out there. This is Dale Stewart with Nature's Edge. I hope you will take some of the things we said to you today to heart, and I will see you in the wild. Mm-hmm.